0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God is indeed slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But slow to anger does not mean incapable of anger. Slow to anger certainly means that he is patient, far more patient than we would imagine. In fact, so patient that we might even think he doesn't care. But Amos vividly reminds us that God does care. Amos sees God as a lion that has finally been roused. He rises up suddenly with an earthquake. He opens his mouth and roars. His roar sends judgment upon all the nations of the earth. Upon Judah and Israel as well. As the roar becomes more intense, Israel is increasingly singled out. Here in our own country, I think it's safe to say that we've become a rather soft people. Not long ago, it wasn't so, of course. While there was certainly no golden age in our country's history, there was a time when more people were more pious, when more people were more God-fearing. A healthy respect for God makes for a tough and strong people. Now we are a soft people who are hardened toward God. We hoard our toilet paper as if it will save us, an apt idol for our times, if ever there was one. And yet people openly scoff at the living God, mock his word, and are willing to turn to just about anything else to find help in time of need. It was not so different in ancient Israel. A people who had grown soft, a people who served mammon with all their heart, a people who wanted to make a buck no matter who they had to trample, a people who had grown accustomed to soft and luxurious living but hardened their ears and their hearts to God's warnings and threats. If it were modern literature or if it were translated onto the movie screen, This part of Amos would be considered quite avant-garde. The roar of the lion, which has been filled, as we've seen, with both judgment and hope, both destruction and restoration, this roar of the lion now develops, now causes five visions to come forth. We heard four of those visions earlier this evening and therefore rather horrifying visions. The first, a vision of locusts devouring the land, which meant, of course, mass starvation for man, woman, and child. But Amos himself interceded, pleading, O Lord, please forgive. And amazingly, mercifully, the Lord listened and relented, the second vision, a vision of fire that would destroy the land. In fact, fire that would burn so hot, it would even dry up the water supply. But again, Amos interceded, pleading, "O Lord, please cease." And amazingly, mercifully, the Lord listened and relented. In these first two visions, we can't help but see two things. One, even when God is angry, he is still merciful and sometimes willing to relent. And two, we also see how Amos very precisely prefigures Christ. Just like Abraham from the Old Testament and Moses from the Old Testament, so too Amos mediates Christ on behalf of people who don't deserve it. And as each of these mediators show forth, the one mediator whom Paul himself will say is Jesus, he writes, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. In these words of Paul, we see how Christ our Lord exceeds all other mediators. He and he alone is worthy to give himself as a ransom for all. As true man, he may indeed pay the ransom for man. As true God, he may indeed pay the ransom for all. Unlike Abraham, Moses, or Amos, our Lord Jesus does not simply pray that we would be spared, Our Lord Jesus enacts our salvation Himself by taking our sins upon Himself. Yes, indeed, the sins of the entire world. That the record of death that stands against each one of us might be nailed to the cross, even as He Himself is nailed to the cross. So the roar that causes these visions to come forth includes within it hints, allusions, and inferences that will become manifest and enfleshed in Christ and Him crucified. In other words, the roar of God is a roar that prepares us to receive Christ. Two more visions emerge from the roar, the plumb line, which is a weight suspended from a string, and the basket of summer fruit. The third vision, the vision of the plumb line, indicates that Israel doesn't measure up. They've become warped and crooked. That is all the more evident by the priest who stands up to oppose Amos. Amaziah will have only good times and good news preached to the people. No, the Lord says, and he curses this priest and says that he will never again pass by or come near his people. The fourth vision, the vision of the basket of summer fruit, might actually sound rather lovely, but it points to the fact that Israel's hedonism is about to come to an end. It will be a time of harvest and judgment and death. We read that songs will become wailing, and we hear three strange, spine tingling utterances that are recorded. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Once more, God says that he will never pass by or come near his people again. But as the roar produces these visions, it continues to hint at something more. For example, the roar includes the promise. On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And that, of course, is precisely what happened when our Lord Jesus hung from the cross. There was darkness from noon to three. The earth was darkened in broad daylight. And the evil, the sum and total of all human evil, combined into the greatest of all evils, deicide, the murder of God, of love, of innocence of blessedness, of grace. And yet from this greatest of all human evils, God would work our greatest good. So indeed, from darkness would come light. By his roar, he would shatter the power of our sin, bearing it all and burying it all in his own tomb. By his roar, he would shatter the power of death by dying himself and rising, thus becoming the death of death. By his roar, he would allow his wicked creatures to put him to death precisely so that he might bring us life. And just as he once turned singing into wailing, he will turn wailing into singing. Just as he once turned feasting into mourning, he will turn mourning into feasting. The visions of wrath, the locust, the fire, the plumb line, and the fruit, all point to and are superseded by the ultimate vision of justice which is also the ultimate vision of grace. It is the vision of the cross, the very heart of God opened by Roman Spear, opened to us the divine desire that all would be saved. The roar of anger at those who would refuse, the roar of victory for all who believe. And so, even as we face our own uncertain and difficult times, a time of pestilence and plague, of economic fallout and unthinkable change, we too can be certain of God's intention. He desires that all would return to Him and receive His forgiveness and receive life for all eternity. That is certain, and that is certainly good news. But of course, as you heard, our reading of Amos does not end on good news, and that's okay. Not even Jesus' own sermons all end on good news. What we read in Amos, while perhaps not directly applicable to us, nonetheless serves as a warning to us. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, they shall not find it. If people despise the gospel of Christ, if they despise God and His forgiveness, if they can't be troubled to hear it, or support the preaching of it, or to give priority to it in their own lives and in the lives of their children, if they don't value it, it will be withdrawn. And of course, we won't know what we had until it's gone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.